I'm Shelby. And I'm Janine. We are the hosts of We, we Art Here. Here. We talk about art. I introduce the history on an art subject. And I interview an artist tied to that art subject. Keep listening. The indie gaming scene has grown from a grassroots movement. I mean, it is the independent game scene. It's something that nets a special presentation from Nintendo and features on the recent PlayStation 5 launch. What's worth noting about indie games as opposed to other art forms we've discussed on this show is that there isn't necessarily a set of tropes and genres specific to indie games. Unlike, for instance, documentaries, there isn't a set of subgenres or modes specific to these games as opposed to big publisher titles. What makes an independent game independent is that development isn't tied to a major publisher, like, for example, Nintendo, Sega, Sony, and so on. So to really get a feel for independent games, we have to talk mostly about the history of indie games. Indie games can be traced back as far as the early 80s, around the time of the 1983 video game crash. For those of you unaware, the video game market crashed in the early 80s due to a few factors, such as console oversaturation, lack of consumer confidence, and the growing home computer market serving as competition. That last point is part of the rise of indie games, with budding coders and bedrooms starting to program their own games on their personal hardware. If we're being totally honest here, most games in this era were independently developed, as publishers weren't nearly as prolific as they are today. Notably, Kevin Toms, who developed 1982's Football Manager, is quoted as saying, there were no publishers. In fact, there were not even any retail outlets, not shops selling games at first. So the only way you could reach your customer was to place ads in magazines and sell by mail order. Which is exactly what he and other bedroom coders at the time did. These projects weren't exactly financially viable, more labors of love than anything. And that's going to be a common theme with basically this whole history of indie games. By the 90s, publishers had overtaken the market, giving independent developers the choice to 1. Try to find a publisher willing to take them on, 2. Start a small publishing group themselves, or 3. Just give it away. Many actually took the third option and started the shareware era of the 90s. The idea behind shareware is essentially ripping a game, putting it on another disc, and sending it on to whoever might be interested. Developer Apogee, also known as 3D Realms, came up with what would become the main shareware distribution model for publishers. Episodic releases. Let's say a game has three parts to it. The first episode could be shared around in the traditional shareware fashion, but if a player won the rest of the game, they could purchase the rest of it through a commercial retail release. This can even be seen in the modern era with developers such as Telltale releasing games such as The Walking Dead, The Wolf Among Us, and so on as episodic releases. First episode usually gets releases free content later on, while the rest of the season is paid for with a season pass or by episode. Games that use this model in the 90s, however, include Commander Keen, Jazz Jackrabbit, and Doom. Speaking of Doom, it's worth mentioning that game spawned its own version of shareware in user-generated custom levels, known as WADs. 
that also serve as a way for young developers to get into programming their own levels within the Doom engine. 2002 saw the next big shift in indie games with the birth of Steam, an online digital storefront hosted by games publisher Valve, known at the time for titles like Half-Life. While game development was a passion for many, like I said, it wasn't super financially viable. Brick and mortar retail was where the money was at, and it didn't necessarily favor these small developers. They would have to pay for the stock, and if it didn't sell, all they got back was a box of their own games and no money to show for it. Steam, at launch, was just for Valve's own games, but it did point toward the future in that it was the first digital storefront that was not only successful, but since Steam games were tied to the account holder, those games could be downloaded onto any computer forever. By 2005, Valve was allowing for games to be sold that weren't developed in-house. In other words, third-party games made by outside developers now had a new venue for distribution. While Valve did of course take a cut from profits, having a game on a storefront that practically every PC gamer had on their computers was worth the trade-off for many. Of course, by this point in time, the console market had bounced back considerably and the first consoles with their own online on-console storefronts had entered the market. Microsoft's Xbox 360 saw the launch of the Xbox Live Arcade integrated into the main user interface, which served as a venue for smaller developers, and saw a great deal of support from Microsoft. For instance, for several years during the 360's run, Microsoft would run a summer event with the arcade service, promising new games every week, prize raffles, and so on. And, by 2007, the service had over 25 million title downloads. It's worth noting that the Xbox Live Arcade distinction was dropped upon the release of the Xbox One. Now on the Xbox digital storefront, indie games are grouped in with every other retail title. Before I keep going, I want to point out that I'm mostly focusing on the commercial aspect of things. And while that is where a lot of the narrative is, it would be disingenuous of me to not bring up the rise of Flash games on the internet as a way for this generation of bedroom coders to get their start. Adobe Flash could almost be seen as a precursor of sorts to Unity or Unreal Engine in that it was an easily accessible form of developers to program their own games around this time. Between Steam and Xbox Live Arcade, the mid-aughts saw what many call the indie boom and the golden age of indie gaming. Several notable indie titles entered the mainstream media consciousness with an air of status attached during this time. Some of these titles, such as Braid, Super Meat Boy, and Fez became critical successes, gaining notoriety for their approaches to storytelling, like in Braid and Fez, and unique art styles, not to mention their comparatively smaller developer teams compared to larger releases at the time, such as Grand Theft Auto 4. All three of those aforementioned titles were featured in the documentary Indie Game, the movie, and, like I said, came to define this era of indie games. What drew both players and developers to the indie scene was the freedom of creativity and the way they stood out from the haze of AAA titles. These were intimately personal stories being told with unique gameplay mechanics and games that would come to shape the industry as a whole. That's kind of a big statement, so let me give some examples of those kinds of games. Dear Esther started as a free-to-play mod for the Source Engine before being commercially released in 2012. The game is about 
a man exploring an unnamed island, reading a series of letters to his deceased wife, in a genre of indie game that would be coined as a walking simulator, walking around in a gorgeous environment as story happens around you. When it comes to telling a intimate story, as well as featuring a unique gameplay mechanic, you can look at Braid, which is a platforming game that featured a unique time rewind mechanic that served in its game story. Finally, when it comes to games that would shape the industry as a whole, you can look no further than this tiny little indie title from a little Swedish studio called Minecraft. Launching in 2009, it soon became one of the most popular titles in the world, and it still is today. To give you an idea of just how valuable this intellectual property is, Mojang, the studio behind Minecraft, was bought out by Microsoft in 2014 for $2.5 billion. And the video game itself is currently the best-selling video game of all time, with 200 million copies sold across a dozen different platforms. Further bolstering this indie boom was the beginnings of sites like the Humble Bundle and Itch.io. The former is a site that began by offering cheap bundles of smaller indie games, with a portion of the profits going to various charities. Nowadays, they serve as an alternative digital storefront to Steam, and the bundles they offer range from games to graphic novels to game development software. Profits still partially go to charities, too. Itch.io is another venue for bedroom coders to release their games with a more underground vibe than Steam. With all these new avenues for distribution and the indie game scene becoming part of mainstream gaming pop culture, a new fear emerged among these developers. Oversaturation. With software like Unity and Unreal Engine becoming more accessible, the door was opened for low-effort, poorly produced shovelware. For a while, Steam had a program called Steam Greenlight, which was a form of crowdsourcing to see what customers wanted on the store. Essentially, prospective developers would pay a fee and put up a pitch through the service, with screenshots, videos, and early builds, and customers would vote whether or not it should be on Steam. If it cleared the requisite amount of votes, it would be listed on Steam Storefront. This process was discontinued and replaced with Steam Direct, which is basically an open-door policy. It's a double-edged sword. Anyone can put up a game on the biggest PC storefront, but that doesn't mean they'll be discovered. Of course, as I said, that doesn't mean that indie games died out. Kind of the opposite, actually. Titles such as Undertale, Stardew Valley, Cuphead, Celeste, and Untitled Goose Game have seen critical and commercial success in the past five years. But now I've kind of caught up with present day, and it's hard to give a definitive conclusion. Like I said, it's not like they've shut down or even slowed down. With the start of the new console generation in full swing with the launch of the Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5, indies are more popular than ever. As mentioned at the start of this segment, Nintendo semi-frequently releases presentations called Nindy Directs on their social media channels that spotlight new indie games releasing on the Switch console. The PlayStation 5 games presentation in June 2020 showcased several indie titles, including one game, Bug Snacks, that launched alongside heavy hitters like Assassin's Creed and Spider-Man Miles Morales upon the release of the next-gen console in November 2020. Further, Supergiant, a studio known for games such as Bastion, another darling from the late aughts era of indie games, 
has their most recent game, Hades, up for Game of the Year at this year's Game Awards event, alongside AAA titles like Final Fantasy VII Remake and The Last of Us Part II. Essentially, what I'm trying to say is that indie games are far from dead, and still have a bright future ahead with small developers, such as our interview subject this episode, Paul Gruber. It's been a, I feel like this week has just flown by for some reason. Um, I guess, like, with all the shenanigans from last week with, with the election and stuff, um, like, I guess it was just like, ah, oh, finally we, it's over. Well, sort of, but <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, what is that? Uh, I don't know if you guys know Hamilton, but oh, yeah. that, uh, <laughs> that one line of Hamilton where, um, uh it's like let's get back to politics please <laughs> uh but yeah it, it's it's going good um still doing doing well through all the crazy covid stuff um and uh just just kind of trucking along working i guess through the through to the end of the year and i guess trying to figure out what's going to come next i don't know if like super zombie apocalypse in 2021 <laughs> or i don't know but how about you I'm good. Um, I guess I'll introduce myself because I think it, it just says my email on the thing. But I'm Janine. Um, I was the person that emailed you. Um, hey, nice to meet you, Janine. Yeah, nice to meet you. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I'm doing fine. I started off the day listening to um, Rebecca Black, her Friday song. <laughs> Friday. <laughs> It's Friday the 13th, too. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just wanted to listen to that one. Um, <laughs> so I'm doing okay. How about you? And then um, Shelby is also here. Uh, she's in the podcasting class with me, and we're doing this podcast uh, together. And then we have another team member who is also our editor. So he won't be with us interviewing today. Cool. Uh, Shelby, right? Yes. Hi. Cool. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Um, I guess my day's been going great so far. I will be honest. I woke up late, so <laughs> <laughs> not I, mean, I just woke to... up to take out the dog to take out the dog and feed the cat. So, you know, it's normal day. Normal day. Yeah, ironically or funnily enough, I I was listening to Hamilton while getting ready today. So that's where <laughs> we're at. <laughs> that's a good way to start today. It is good. Good show. So this isn't related to our podcast, but what are your guys' favorite song from Hamilton? Oh, um, I really like, um, uh, 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 what is, uh, Washington on your side? Is that what the, mm-hmm. the title mm-hmm. of that one is? The one where they go, must be nice. It must be nice. Oh, yeah. Yes. Mostly because they scream uh, at the, you know, halfway through the song, they're like, motherfucking Democratic Republicans. Just, <laughs> I don't know. It just gets me all hyped up. Um. Uh, but uh, my wife uh, really likes um, um, uh, the second song in uh, the the whole play. Oh my gosh, I completely um, blanking. I'm, I'm... listen to Yeah, my shot. That's that's the one. Oh, yeah, she one. loves my shot, um, and she'll just listen to the whole thing, like cooking dinner. It's, <laughs> it's fine. I, I I I love it too. So. Um, Whenever we get to uh, um, 
whenever we get to the 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 song about uh, his affair, she's like, let's just skip that one. <laughs> skip. She's like, no, it's too sad. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't really like the whole second half. Like for the longest time, I'd only ever listened to like the first half of the songs before mm-hmm. the intermission because it gets really sad. <laughs> it does get sad. I, uh the first those first like talking about like all uh all the uh the battles and stuff as well um and like with the introduction of washington like it it's it's just such a good man Lindman well miranda did such a good job i don't even i don't know how that guy's like human <laughs> right and then you go you, then you go and watch moana and then it's like how can you keep making these good things you're so good I was going to say, in, in response to Janine, have, uh, not enjoying, or n- not enjoying is not the right word, but like having a harder time with Act 2. I guess you could say the fighting's easier, but governing's harder. Oh! <laughs> 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 I, I love that whole end of Act 1 song. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I have the annotated script. Uh, it's. <laughs> Like it's it's like a, it's an all skate, just like all the parts coming together for that finale is just mm, I love it. I love that it's, kind it's of thing so in musicals. Did you uh uh did either of you guys watch the uh Disney Plus uh I guess a re recording or whatever they were Absolutely what? yes. Yeah, it was it was good. It was really good. We had, we actually had, had seen a live show um uh, was it I think almost two years ago or maybe it was last year. Whatever year they came, um, I mean, it wasn't the it wasn't like the original cast or whatever, obviously, but um, like it was still just just a blast to go, and like it was funny because like <laughs> you you could occasionally hear people like nearby like singing along, <laughs> <laughs> which I feel like perfect. It's perfect for Hamilton because it's like yeah, of course, sing along. Like that's the point, you know. Um, It was it was at least better than when we went to uh, Margaritaville. Uh, which, uh, we, we, it was like part of our package or whatever, so we're just like, let's just go. And then <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be like super ageist, but like when you have a bunch of uh, uh, old 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 people kind of whispering under their breath, like the, the Margaritaville, and like the whole like the whole uh, 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 audience is doing that, it's kind of like. Uh, I don't know if <laughs> a little a little creeped out by this. <laughs> it's a little culty in here. A little, uh, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Um, uh, but yeah. <laughs> I'm vaguely familiar with Margaritaville. There's a, a podcast I listen to, uh, My Brother, My Brother and Me, where they <laughs> they had like a yeah. a running bit about Jimmy Buffett and about how the eldest brother was turning into their dad. By starting to listen to James Buffett, and <laughs> uh, this ended up spiraling into them interviewing Jimmy Buffett on their show, and then getting invited to the blue carpet premiere of the Broadway musical, and uh, having just an anxiety. It was like, is this? Is this revenge? Because it was just an anxiety nightmare. <laughs> it's it's a uncomfortable episode to listen to, but it's very funny. 
Yeah, I've heard of them. Uh, I heard they're, they're really good. So I'll have to check that out for sure. Okay. Um, so I guess we were just talking about musicals. Uh, and then you're, you also, uh, on your website, it says that you're a freelance artist. Um, so kind of, do you want to explain kind of what you do? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, it's, it's going to be kind of like, uh, kind of all over the place, uh, as far as the freelance stuff goes, but, um, uh, yeah, so I started freelancing, uh, full-time art, uh, at the end of, uh, last year. So what was it? 2019. Um, and, uh, I, I previously worked at, at an office job for about seven years. Um, I had been doing some freelance artwork, uh, here and there, um, prior to that. But I finally made like the full, uh, full transition to doing full time uh, freelance artwork. Um, as far as the freelance stuff goes, um, it's a combination of uh, picking up contracts. Uh, it is uh, also kind of doing my own stuff as well, um, and uh, also working with a, a couple of the uh, uh, businesses that uh, I've helped to uh, co-found uh, as well. Um, so one of the businesses uh, is Crazy Beard Entertainment. Uh, this was actually before I became a full-time uh, freelance. And uh, it was, uh, uh, it's, it's a video game development uh, company uh, that uh, me and my friend from college uh, and his dad, uh, all three of us started uh, back in, oh my gosh. Um, I wanna say almost like 2014, I think it was. Uh, and I had just been doing some, some, just some minor artwork for just throwing out ideas and, and things like that. Um, eventually, uh, through certain connections and, and, and things, it kind of allowed me to uh, be able to uh, do what I'm doing now, um, kind of uh, taking off from the crazy beard work uh, that I did, uh, went to work on uh, some uh, graphics for and concept art for uh, a movie called Moonshot, directed by Matthew Lucas. Um, did some work there, so uh, Crazy Beard was credited for that. Uh, and then uh, after that, uh, through another connection, uh, got into um, working for a media company based out of Maryland called Will Interactive. Um, and so that kind of allowed me to springboard into the freelance work uh, of uh, kind of, like I said, a combination of doing my own stuff, um, like I said, I, I'm big into uh, comic book art, uh, graphic novels. Uh, I do digital art as well. Um, and honestly, uh, anything as far as like, I guess a topic would be concerned. Um, I tend to draw a lot of uh, fan art <laughs> right off the bat, um, especially as warm-ups and things like that. Like it can be anything from, from anime or comic books or movies or video games and stuff like that. I mean, honestly, it's just my passions, and I'm just kind of <laughs> putting pen to t pen to tablet, uh, if you will. Um, and then uh, uh, from uh, from that springboard of working with Will, uh, doing a lot of digital comic books for them, um, and kind of allowing me to dive deeper into the freelance work that I'm doing now, uh, we uh, started a. a, a a uh, artist collective uh, of a group of Houston artists and crafters. Um, it's called Goblin Collective. 
<laughs> and our tagline is uh, a group of uh, artsy and crafty goblins at your goblity service. Um, and <laughs> that that idea kind of came from just a a D and D campaign that the group of us that were doing, um, and uh, that's that's where that name came from. But um, uh, uh, working on um, you know, kind of building that as as a business, uh, working on uh, building Crazy Beard as a business, um, uh, working on contract work, and then working on my own personal stuff. So as far as my structure for my freelance work goes um it's kind of like four prong in that uh which i feel like might seem now that i think about it seems pretty pretty daunting <laughs> to, to take on um but i'm having a blast doing it um and uh, i definitely don't regret um going full-time full-time with this so um so uh you, you mentioned just crazy bit entertainment and doing video game development. Um, mm-hmm. What uh, what's working on stuff like that like? Uh, it is. It, I guess uh, one one way to put it is like when I was a little baby boy uh, <laughs> growing up, and I had my Nintendo and I had my Sega. Um, you know, I was like, you know, I, I love playing games. You know, anything, anything really. Mario, Sonic. Uh, golden axe if anybody remembers that um but uh i was super big into video games uh all through I, i've been all through my life my brother was the first one that introduced me to playing nintendo uh my mom actually played nintendo with me growing up um and so it's been a big part of my life uh and there's always been that hint of like oh man it would be so cool to like work in video game you know when you're like sitting there in, in middle school and you're like man like what is my dream it's like i want to i want to work for nintendo uh you know uh and then obviously it's like no don't don't son son don't don't do that go to college go get uh go get your geography degree uh and then uh, don't work for nintendo but (laughs) um i think that it's always been just a part of something that i've always wanted to do um, working on crazy beard work uh, uh, right right now, uh, just due to um, like you know things going on in 2020 and, and whatnot. Um, uh, projects are kind of kind of just kind of slow at the moment, um, but the other previous work that we've done uh, has been an absolute blast to work on. Um, and like I said, it's it's kind of like taking that 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 baby boy uh, Paul dream and. Um, like making something out of it and it's it's as far as like building it goes and the fact that i don't have like i don't have like a programming background experience um any sort of programming that i would do i do um i I learn as i go um primarily uh my comfort zone is working on the art side of it so um one of the one of the processes and, and, and this this sort of process applies to um a, a lot of different projects uh, whether it's video games whether it's comic books whether it's like doing graphics for movies or um anything else really like even just kind of warm up digital art stuff um the the uh my function in crazy beard is lead artist uh so a lot of the things that i work on are um taking the ideas that we've kind of brainstormed as far as a project goes um, 
visualizing what those would look like from like just a, a, a standard artist perspective, but then also trying to uh, figure out a way uh, to take that art and apply it to whichever style of video game uh, we would be making for that project. Uh, because uh, I'm sure the, like you, you see, like there's, there's just a, there's a, there's so many different types of visual design that video games have. Like you can have like retro, like old, like Mario and Sonic uh, uh, visuals. You could have like th- full 3d polygon visuals or even like something in between uh, where, uh, you know, like old, even nowadays, like you have uh, indie developers like, like us um, working on uh, kind of capturing that old like PlayStation feel where it was kind of like still kind of janky looking, <laughs> you know? Um, and so taking, taking the art um, concept art that I draw uh, and making sure that that can be applied to the game itself and fit in the visual of that game. That's kind of my primary function in that um, as, as far as the, being the, the artist for, for crazy beard. Um, and then, uh, my uh, uh, my partner Logan, um, he is uh, uh, primarily he's a he's a programmer, uh, but also the idea man uh, as well. Uh, and then his dad, uh, who is also part of Crazy Beard, um, is our our main uh, programmer as well. So um, they're the ones that uh, take what I draw, or take what I take what I model, or take what I draw uh, in in pixel art, and they're the ones that put it in the game, give it physics or function or commands, and then uh, actually have something that we can play <laughs> as well. Um, so when you create um, the like drawings or um, sketches for the games, do you like put it, do you draw out like each action that would possibly need to be taken by like the character or or the item, and then they put that in there. Uh, that's a good question. Um, uh, it would depend uh, on, uh, I guess, what would be uh, needed for being able for them to be able to uh, apply it. Um, one of the uh, projects that uh, uh, we're working on uh, is a game where you—it's called Space Joe. Uh, you control a—it uh, uh, would be a two D kind of like a two D scribe. We're still like playing around with ideas like this is still like a very fledgling idea um but uh it we, you, you would control a 2d spaceman like kind of like a lanky 2d spaceman who uh uh runs solely on coffee uh, that's kind of like the the premise for him um but uh, when we were first starting out coming up with character designs um for for that character um making sure that uh the the design suited the movement um what was key uh you want to be able to like uh see like each of his legs being able to move because you don't want you don't want to have something where like it doesn't visually stand out and it's like confusing as far as like what the character is doing uh and so the the uh for for that particular set of um like making sure that those details hit uh well enough um it did require to it did require me to sketch out like positions of the leg like as the character is running as the character is shooting like i have i think i have like a almost like six full pages in my in my sketchbook of 
that just that character facing right um, with his gun held out. And then I have like all, all these different notes and different positions for the character. So like I have like step one, step two, step three, step four. Um, like here's the character with like both legs stretched out running with gun forward. Here's the character with both legs stretched out with the gun pointing up. Um, once you kind of get uh, the main, like, I guess, uh, animation points for that uh, for that character down, it becomes a little bit easier to kind of just kind of do it on the fly uh, when you're creating the actual like assets. And so, the, like for this project in particular, it would be a pixel based um, art style. And so, when I'm going in and creating the sprites for for the character. Um, like as long as I have like those main four or five or however many you want, um, I was just throwing out that number for for example, um, uh, base like movement, I guess frames. And then you can kind of like infer from there. Um, but uh, for the most part, as far as animation goes, um, it does require like at least an idea of how many keyframes you would maybe want for the animation uh, for that uh, item or character. So uh, like I said, like for, for space show running or for um, another project that we're working on is uh, um, a spiritual successor to uh, moon patrol, which was like some 1986 arcade uh, uh, game. Um, and that's just, that's just a, a, a pet project. Um, but uh, like, when it comes to like a, a like a, a bad guy like blowing up or something, like you kind of want to have like what's the start of the explosion and what's the end of the explosion, and then you can kind of like fill in in between, um, and that's something that carries over for uh, from another like I guess artistic uh, background, which is animation, right? Um, and so that's one of the things that I'm learning, uh, kind of wrapping it back to like what it's like working on video games just in general, uh, that video games. Uh, I very quickly came to realize, um, and like I, I always kind of like knew it in the back of my he- my head because, like you know, when you think about like music and and like visuals and storytelling, like there's so many different parts of a video game, and in a certain way, I would almost call video games kind of like not. I don't want to say like 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 peak. <laughs> Like it, it's kind of hard to describe. Uh, I guess kind of the idea that I'm getting at, but basically, like, like you have like you have music, right? And then you have you, you would take like a movie or something, and then you would have like uh, a story, like a book. Combine all those together, add a controller, and then you have a video game. So it's kind of like it's it's there's so many different artistic aspects to a video game, and. Uh, uh, Really, when you talk about video game development, you're actually, you're talking about all these other different types of artistic backgrounds that come into play. Because uh, you can you can have a video game without music, uh, you can have a video game without a story. Um, but like when you think about like you know, like, let's take like a famous like video game like Legend of Zelda or something like that has music that has um, you know visuals that has story like. It has, it has, like, you could write a book with the amount of text that's in that game. Um, and then add the aspect of a user input on top of that. Like, it's a lot of stuff. 
it's a heck of a lot of stuff. Um, but that's that's one of the big things that I've, I've come to realize is that it's just uh, when 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 you're doing video game development, you're not just dealing with one thing. You're dealing with so many different parts of art in general, uh, and I think that's probably one of the most things one of the one of the big things that draws me into it because there's just so many different facets to video game development. Um, but yeah, that that kind of went like a little deeper, <laughs> a little further on from what uh, your original question was for uh, drawing out the the sketches no, for the that's animation. Great. But... No, that's. <laughs> I had a question. I was just—I forgot it. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. I remembered it now. Um, so as you're talking about um, all the different, um, because yeah, I totally agree. Um, a lot goes into video games, and I feel like a lot of other forms of like media that people might not think about, like all mm-hmm. the little parts of it. Um, so as like lead artist, do you also kind of help um, select music and <clears throat> do you actually animate as well? Uh, so I, I do, I do uh, an- animate um, when it comes to specifically for the crazy beard, crazy beard work. Um, a lot of times the uh, programmers will need kind of the, an- the actual animation and then they can go and kind of go ahead and write the script for like, uh, to kind of get into the nitty gritty of it, um, so like if if I want my character to just kind of move forward, um, my my programmers need to have uh, a set of frames to call uh, to run in whether it be like a loop animation or whatever, uh, like while holding right on the controller and your character moves and 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 they set in the programming aspect like they're setting uh like the 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 transform they would call it a transform uh for the characters like on like an xy plane on x how fast are they moving across x while you hold right like that's kind of like the um the the basic explanation there uh but uh i need to come up with um uh, a set of frames for them to be able to call to make the animation actually look like he's running or else like if they don't have anything to call, he's just going to be like sliding along the ground, like as a static image. Um, and uh, uh, the, the, that's kind of the primary information or animation um, that I am doing for crazy beard. Um, uh, I haven't gotten into um, kind of the more uh, traditional type of animation. Like if it's like drawing like a cartoon or something like that, um, I don't have uh, a whole lot of experience in that um, right off the bat. It's it's something that I'm incredibly interested in, um, and maybe someday I would hope to maybe like have like a cartoon or something of my own. I don't know. It's it's a dream. And like as 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 we continue talking, you'll find out that like I'm just like you're like why why do you have so many things that you're working on? Just like focus on something. And I'm like I don't know. I just, leave me alone. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, what was the second part uh, to the question that you would ask? Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you would ask about the animation. Uh... Oh, and music. Oh, and music. Um, so music, I, I am absolutely, uh, I don't have any experience. And I took 
I guess if you're going to talk about like I took Suzuki violin in grade yeah. school. That's it. And I did bands in, in high school. Um, I don't, I, I got through, uh, here's the secret about me. Uh, I got through all of my music classes, uh, not knowing how to read music and I still don't know how to read music. <laughs> so. so you have natural talent then. <laughs> I, well, because my, one of my tests was like, my teacher was like, all right, play a B flat. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> like if you, if you like, if you played it on another instrument, I could mimic it because that's kind of how Suzuki works. But uh, anyway, that was a complete tangent. Um, <laughs> as far as music goes for, for video game development, um, uh, I usually don't take part in, in that. Um, I love video game music uh, in general. I, I would honestly, like if I'm sitting here working, um, like I won't put on like regular music. I'll put on a video game soundtrack to play in the background. Um, I find uh, that video game music, like it, it, there are times when it can elicit such great emotion. Um, and especially when you have memories of playing like a game and kind of like, and, and this this kind of draws back to kind of like the, what I was talking about earlier, where it's kind of like, it, there's so many different aspects to a video game and art wise. Um, and so like when you hear like a piece of music and it's like, oh, but that piece of music is, is reminding me of like this part of the story where I was fighting this guy and then like, I was able to rescue this person, like for example. Um, and you can get, obviously you can get that sort of feeling from any other type of music as well. Um, but uh, as far as uh, video game development uh, itself goes on Crazy Beard's end, uh, we look towards um, kind of... We look. We 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 seek out um, other uh, freelance or uh, indie uh, musical artists to to work with. Um, uh, there's a friend of the family um, that we uh, are are reaching out to um, to to work on uh, some some upcoming projects as well. Um, but it's it's more or less finding uh, the style of music that will fit. As was anything that's probably like one of the worst answers I probably could have gave, <laughs> but um, uh, and uh, it, it's more of just what fits the art style, uh, not necessarily the play style. Uh, in most cases, um, obviously, like when you have like a big like boss battle, you want to have like the music to to crescendo and have like uh, like faster paced beats and stuff like that, and that that that's. I feel like that's the case is like, especially like with movies and stuff like that, like you want to match what's on the screen. And so when it comes to video games, you want to have the music match what the character, what the, what the, not necessarily, well, let me take it back. Not necessarily what is on the screen. You want them, you want the music to match what you're wanting the player to feel at that particular time while they're playing the game. Like while they're interacting with the characters on the screen, what, what do you want them to feel? Do you want them to feel uh, an intense feeling? Do you want them to feel um, like, is it, is it, is it like a, like an easy, do you have like a break in the level? Um, you know, like, like, like a completed level. Like whenever you hear like a fanfare, like a final fantasy fanfare where it's like, da, 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 da. like that makes you feel good, <laughs> you know? And then it's like, okay, done. Fanfare's over onto the next part of the part of the game. Um, but uh Yeah. Um, kind of as you were talking, I was just, I'll just ask, have you heard of the game called Gris? Uh, I have, uh, I haven't had a chance to play it. 
Um, I think it's like a, isn't it like a French developed I just game or? looked it up. Um, it's actually Spanish. I think Spanish, okay. it's the same in Spanish and French. Because uh, my friend was playing it last weekend and she finished it. But I was just listening to, and actually it was, it seemed like a really good game. Um, like the symbolism of it all. And then the music also was like, it was really nice. I didn't play it, but it was kind of sad because she finished the game when I was like over <laughs> there and it seemed kind of emotional because of like the end. I don't want to, I guess I don't want to spoil it, but there's like <laughs> a monster in it in there. And then I guess at the end when you find out like what happens, it was like, <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree with you like about the music and and um the art as well was was really nice yeah that that i've uh i've i've read uh there's a website that i go on um called uh gamma sutra or gamma sutra i don't know how to pronounce it <laughs> um <laughs> uh they're one of the last like really good bastions for like kind of just game news and game discussions and stuff because like they have like GameSpot and ign websites and they'll talk about like news they'll do like promotions and stuff but this website uh gamma sutra will kind of like they'll go in and like interview like not just like not just like the head developer but like the guy who like worked on like really like obscure things like oh hey we developed we we interviewed the guy who um decided what color pants mario wears like that like then they'll interview that that guy and like explain like well why did you make his pants blue and he was like well we made his pants blue so that his arms would stand out when you when he runs and it's like um so that's always really interesting but uh yeah uh when it when it comes to music and, and thinking about games like like gris or uh, uh, gris is right i think that's how you pronounce it um uh like it, it there's there's definitely like a level of like there, there's a next level when it comes to the interactive part of video games because uh, like when you're watching like a movie like you still that's still like elicits the same it would still elicit like if gris was a movie it would still elicit like a very similar feeling you know um but that extra level of like i'm controlling what's happening on the screen like it's it's almost more like a direct, like emotional feeling. It, I, I, it's it's a little I don't know. Like I'm not like a philosophy expert or like that, but <laughs> and that's just kind of like how I feel about it. Um, and like even like thinking like uh, one of my favorite games recently that I played um, was uh, I never played any of the Resident Evil games growing up, and so I picked up Resident Evil uh, uh, remake. Uh, HD on Steam, which was like a, a remake of Resident Evil 1, which was a release on PlayStation. And then the remake was released on GameCube. And then this is the Steam re-release of that game. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I started out with that. Uh, and uh, like me as like a person controlling and I go through all these intense like zombie encounters and then I get to the save room and the save room, like it's like real calming music and it's like, ah, oh, like I, I have a break, you know? Um, but I feel like if that were to happen, like in a movie, I would still like f- have that feeling of like, ah, a break in the action, but it's almost like that, that feeling is intensified because like, I'm the one in control. Like I determine whether my character lives or dies. <laughs> like, I'm not just like sitting back and watching a movie and 
like the movie is like the writers determined whether they live or die and whether they live or die is like it's either going to happen or it's not going to happen whereas in a video game it's kind of like it can either always happen or or not happen like there's 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 always like that level of you don't really know what's going to happen when you're when you're playing a game like that so um I don't know. It's just like an extra step. And I think that's what draws me to making video games um, uh, for Crazy Beard and, and just in general. It, it's, yeah. I don't know. They're just a big part of my life. Um, and I couldn't have asked for um, like a, even a better chance to be able to work on it and kind of and be able to bring other people the kinds of feelings that video games help me feel, I guess. It would be a, a good way to put that. Just the the whole time. Oh, okay. oh, yeah, yeah. I I didn't have a question. I was just going to say, you know, the whole time you were talking, just made me, made me think of. A, I don't know if you played Breath of the Wild. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like the way the uh, the music, which is very minimalist by like you know Legend of Zelda standards, uh, just adds to that like tension like the the lulls in action when you're just kind of wandering around looking for Koroks or whatever <laughs> <laughs> and then oh hello guardian <laughs> well and yeah like when you're when you're playing when you're playing a game like that like you you you'll like interact with it you know but like when you go back and really think about it it's like there's so many different aspects at play here art wise where like you, you you may not think about it until and like I I didn't think about it either until I started like really getting into um, like building a game game from the ground up. Um, uh, for example, like I, I uh, for my um, uh, when my wife and I got married, our save the date announcement uh, and RSVP was a video game. Uh, the we would we emailed out a video game that I made. It was just like one level. Uh, like a really short level and uh at the end like they had to beat the game to get the rsvp like yes or no uh and uh like i'm sitting there i'm like okay like my i was like you know i'll just you know i'll I'll just uh you know draw draw my guy and um i'll make him go and then i'm like wait but no i gotta think about the music i gotta think about like the sound effects i gotta think like I got and I like I sketched out like I said we were talking about earlier I sketched out like all the different animation frames of what I needed to to do, um, and uh, uh, more power to to the people that can do that on their own. Like there are, there are, are a number of examples of people doing game development completely on their own. Um, luckily, I have Logan and Gary to help me at <laughs> uh, Crazy Beard to kind of take my because it, it's sometimes hard because it's like when you when you're drawing stuff like that's kind of your sector. Um, and if I have someone to take that and put it into actual game, that it, it helps me a lot. But God, these people that that do it all on their own, like I don't know how they do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I, I stepped over Janine asking a question. <laughs> okay, I'll try. Okay, uh, I have a really bad short-term memory. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that that's okay. That's okay. Okay, I remember. So, do you think that uh, like video games and game design? Do you feel like is kind of like recognized as 
as like an art form or do you think that it's like well respected oh that that's a really good question um i think i think that that art video games being recognized as art um i feel like it's still kind of I've, it, it, it right now I feel like it's still like under under debate as far as like a general I guess understanding of video games goes. I feel like people um, who play video games a lot uh, will tend to recognize like, hey, this is artistic. Like this is a creative project. This is. Um, you know, if you're going to call a, a movie, if you're going to call film art form, um, I like you can call video games art form as well. You can, if you call music art form, you can call video games art form. Um, I think generally, uh, like, I guess I, I, I don't want to like separate it into like, you know, like gamer versus non-gamer sort of thing. <laughs> but um, like people who play video games, people who grew up with video games, uh, I feel like generally they'll accept, they'll be like, yeah, like, of course it's an art form. Like there's so many different aspects of, of creativity and, and work that goes into it. Um, but like, if you see maybe like, uh, you know, some guy, maybe just like playing like, you know, um, uh, Call of Duty or, or something like maybe like he may not see like different aspects of the art that goes into it. Um, and not to say that, that like people who play Call of Duty are, you know, not, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just using it as an example. Um, but uh, uh, I think that over the over the past couple of years, especially recently, especially since now that video games have kind of like blown up, like as a business, like, I feel like I want to say like, right when like the PS3 hit um, way back in what was that early 2000? 2000, 2000, oh my gosh, was it 2003? Maybe? I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember what it was. Um, and, and video games kind of like kind of came into came into their own in a way like a, as a business uh, excuse me and that's when you started like getting getting the the term like video game industry and all this other stuff and you had like microsoft like jumping into it and, and stuff and it wasn't just like nintendo and sega and because like even like back in the day like in the 90s and 80s and stuff like it was it was still like a very fledgling thing and you know you would always like get like teased about like oh you're a nerd playing video games in your basement and whatever but like now it's like there's whole like tournaments dedicated and there's like millions of dollars for like competitive uh arena uh uh, uh multi-online battle arenas like league of legends and stuff like people win a heck of a ton of money playing games like that now um and it's it's gone so much into the mainstream that it's like a legitimate it always has been a legitimate industry, but like I guess like more generally, people were saying that is like, oh, this is this is an actual industry, mm-hmm. and so um, I I think that especially also now that a lot of indie developers are being recognized, like if you go on on platforms like Steam and especially like I think like Nintendo now on the Nintendo Switch is like they're really like they're really pushing the indie scene for video games, mm-hmm. like. You 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 can pick like an indie developer and be like that's like that person said that he created this like how is this not art? Um, and uh, I mean I guess like generally like art is you know art is in the eye of the beholder I guess I don't know <laughs> how how people would want to call it but like there's there's a lot of different things that can be considered art and like when someone says 
you know, video games aren't art. It's kind of like, but you're kind of like, if if you're not going to call a video game art, you're you might as well just not call music and not call film art because, like, those things go into video games. Like, <laughs> they're a part of it. So it's almost like you're dis if, if you're gonna you're you're discrediting video games, you're discrediting other art. It's like you know, it's well, and especially like the things that people don't think about, things like like what I do, concept art and stuff like that's still a part of a video game. Like you can't like disregard like artwork that goes into the planning of a video game. Um, and so that you might as well just discredit art in general. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah. And that, that's a discussion um, that I feel like has gotten a lot more, uh, has blown up a lot more. And I think, I think as video games continue to grow, um, as a business, as as a media, as more people begin to play them, as especially as more indie developers uh, are able to get their work out, like I feel like generally it's now just it's it's becoming recognized as a, as an art form for sure. Um, so just to kind of change the subject a little bit, uh, we've <laughs> talked a lot about. Uh, you know, your work with game development, uh, but you've mentioned that you've worked on like graphic novels and, and things like that. Uh, what, what, I guess, what's your process with that? Oh, sure. Uh, so uh, a graphic novel work, um, most of my, uh, just uh, as far as like my freelance work goes and stuff, um, most of my graphic novel work uh, has been through Will Interactive, uh, which I, I mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a media company based out of Maryland. Uh, they do uh, online um, uh, and uh, uh, other media uh, like learning programs, um, uh, things with to do with like like behavioral science and, and, and things like that, things like in the workplace and and uh, uh, other types of stuff. Um, they uh, they're they're cool. They're 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 an award winning company. Uh, I think they've been around since like 1998. Um, but uh, my work uh, for for graphic novels there has been primarily through them, um, and it's been th- with uh, creating um, digital uh, panels uh, that uh, are interactable. Uh, so, like as as a user is going through their learning program, uh, the graphic novel is a vehicle for that lesson that they're going through. Uh, one of the ones that I worked on was a financial literacy program. Uh, for new military recruits to the U.S. Army, um, and using graphic novels uh, as a means of teaching them about how to be uh, fin- uh, financially literate, like how to manage their money, like what, what, like how you should save money, where you should invest, like how to pay down a loan, how to get a loan, uh, that type of stuff. Um, but as far as the process goes. Um, uh, you, you can kind of see a lot of parallels between video game development and, and even just like fan art that I do or other art that I do, even like painting and stuff too. Like the process from my, on my end is um, kind of the same uh, in most cases. Uh, so as uh, through Will um, uh, and through my contracts with them, uh, they'll tend to have a script ready uh, for uh, what they want to uh, will write um and then what uh, they want each of the panels to look like per 
script. So like imagine like a storyboard in a way, it would be kind of like the rough, like first draft of it. So like you would say, like, like I would, I would generally be, ha- be handed a script and say like, this character says this thing while talking to this person while doing this thing. That's kind of like the basic structure. Um, and so uh, I take that, um, that script, I will sketch out like, oh, okay, well, I have character A, uh, you know, over the shoulder shot of him talking to character B and character B is disgruntled. Like that's kind of like how that basic script goes. Um, and then uh, once we get those uh, basic uh, sketches down, uh, and uh, it's acceptable for them as far as what they need for the script. Uh, we go ahead and, and just kind of jump right into finals um, for for that. Um, but it's it's really the the difference between uh, that and like other things like like kind of creating like um, like animation frames or something for like video games um, is that when it comes to graphic novel design and another comic book design. Um, it, 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 my process kind of in my mind is kind of like I'm imagining it as if it's a movie in a way um, and then kind of taking like where what what if I were to like pause it at a particular place like that's the kind of what I would need to to draw um, and so like I like I took I'd like I take like a like an overall script let's say like for example like character is running from an alien character um, trips and then alien jumps on his back, you know, um, depending on what I need to draw, um, I could draw anywhere from like one panel. I could just do like one panel where it's just like the alien jumping, jumping on his back. And it's like, okay, that's kind of the general, you get the idea. Um, or I can draw like something like three panels where it's like, okay, character, you see character like in the foreground and the alien in the background, or, uh, that's like the first panel. And, it would almost be like a snapshot of uh, like a movie in a way of like just taking like frames from a movie and then like taking them out. And that's what I kind of what I'm seeing in my head as I do it uh, just to make sure that I get the movements right and get the positions right and stuff. Uh, Cause I've had trouble where like, I don't, I'm not like visualizing the movement of what's going on in, in, in the panel. Um, and while the dialogue matches what's going on the visuals don't match what's going on um and so that's that's where you can get into a little bit of trouble because you want to you want the visuals to match dialogue and that that's kind of the most important part of of comic book and graphic novel design (laughs) sorry um oh yeah no problem uh see i'm trying uh janine did you have yeah. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I guess since we kind of went into other mediums, I'll ask about, um, it, and it might be similar to kind of what you just talked about with um, kind of like illustrations and graphic novels. Mm-hmm. But, um, I know it also on your website, it says that you're a concept artist, uh, not only for uh, video games, but also for films and plays. How are are all of those different in any way, or is your process pretty much the same for each of those? Um, for uh, for video games and film and stuff, it's it's generally the same. 
um, as far as the concept art work goes, because mm-hmm. uh, uh, concept art is uh, like it's it's a different aspect to it. So like when when I'm doing like sketches and stuff, like I guess in a way it's concept art. Um, uh, but uh, concept art kind of is in its own certain realm because uh, the general idea that what you want to get across with concept art, uh, it would be like the general function would be kind of uh, giving, like, it, I guess, I guess here, this would be an easier way. Sorry, I'm, this would be an easier way for me to explain it. So like, let's, let's take like, um, let's take the movie that I was working on, uh, Moonshot, uh, which was directed by Matthew Lucas. Um, uh, he was an independent, uh, independent uh, film director. Uh, also based out of Maryland. That's kind of where I got into to working with Will. Um, but uh, so the concept art aspect uh, for that project was, so he had the idea of what he wanted. He he had like a working script. Um, he was, he did not have the visual design um, nailed down to what he wanted. Like he, he knew what people wanted to see. He knew what the characters wanted to say. He knew the interactions that the characters wanted to have. The issue that he had was that he didn't have like what is the general emotional art direction of his his project um and uh 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 oh sorry i'm getting i'm getting my project confused uh i actually didn't do the concept art for for moonshot um there was another project uh that he had worked on um i won't be able to go into detail for that but uh, uh, the, the general process was like he he had a working script. He didn't have the visual design work for it. Like he he, I guess in a way it was kind of like like imagine like seeing like a character's face, but you don't know what the face really looks like. It's kind of just like a cloudy like like I know what he's like sort of supposed to look like, but I don't really have like that nailed down. That's where I come in, and I am like you know I I come up with a couple of designs of like what the character should maybe look like, like different different facial structures, different clothing, different hairstyles. Um, and then the process would be to kind of start with as broad a set of ideas as I can. Um, work with uh, him as a, as a director and figuring out like what he likes from each of those different things, whether he likes like one altogether or he likes like oh i like the eyes of this character i like the nose of this character i like the the jacket that he's wearing over here um and then uh there's definitely when it comes to concept art there's so much back and forth uh that is necessary to be able to nail down the visual design uh, that ultimately goes into the project um and uh, uh making sure that that feedback um is constant is is critical um and and getting the concept to work getting 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 what you want visually from the from the project uh to work um and so uh depending on what he needs uh or anyone who's working like anyone who's contacting me for a concept depending on what they need so like if if one of them is like hey i have an idea of my film having like a being like shot like you know on a on a alien planet and that's usually like when it, when 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 someone comes with a project they're like i i have a i have a script but it's on an alien planet it's like i have no idea what this alien planet looks like in my head can you help me and that's where i come in and so i'll throw out ideas like oh maybe this 
maybe like the planet has like giant mushrooms. Okay, there's there's one idea. Um, and then maybe like another image is maybe this planet is like like breaking apart and there's like magma coming everywhere. And it's like, okay, well, like here's some ideas. What do you like from this? And then maybe the guy's like, hey, you know, I I like the mushrooms. I don't really like the magma. Let's go with the mushrooms. And I'm like, okay, well, then I take the mushrooms and then I kind of expand from there. Um, okay, so maybe, okay, so he likes mushrooms. Maybe the mushrooms are like hanging upside down or something from like a like a giant stalk. Uh, or like maybe like the mushrooms are like just so big that like houses and cities are built on top of them or something like that. Um, and then like, oh, and then, you know, I, I present him that set of ideas and he's like, oh, I really like the cities on the, and I'm like, okay, cool. I'll take that, <laughs> narrow it down even further. Um, and uh, there's a lot, I feel like there's a lot of concept art um, that uh, gets shown, especially like, it, I don't know uh, if you guys have ever gone to like a comic book store and gone to like the, the art book section and like, uh, th that's like one of my favorite sections because I just get to see all the processes and stuff. Even then, I feel like there's a lot of work that doesn't get shown as far as the process goes um, for concept art. And one of my favorite, uh, and, and it's because like they, they wanted to be able to present it as like a book that's like, you know, that someone would buy. You don't want to just see someone's like sketch on a napkin of a guy's nose. Like, <laughs> like that's not valuable, you know, like to be able to sell to like someone. But th I feel like there's a lot of times when that stuff you don't think about that kind of stuff um and one of my favorite um things to show people as far as like concept art goes and like what goes into concept art uh i actually let me write this down because this may be useful uh for you for talking about like concept art um processes um let me find it real quick i'm on my computer uh it is a um it's not it. It is a website showing the process that the original creator of Spyro the Dragon, which oh, was a old game. Uh, <laughs> PS1 game. Uh, <laughs> uh, trying to find the link for you. I might, I might, uh, I don't want to like spend a whole bunch of time trying to find it, but I'll send it to you on your email for you guys to look at. But basically, um, yeah, I'm finding a lot of the new reignited art art that's not what i want um basically uh, uh it has oh i got god like it maybe has like a couple uh maybe like a hundred or so different images of that of the creator of, of spyro's design um kind of going through his process of designing spyro and like you look at the first ones and it's just a bunch of scribbles uh like literally like it's just a bunch of scribbles like the guy sat there like drew just on like a piece of paper and uh, the scribbles, you can see like, you can see like, Oh, he, it sort of looks like a dragon, but his whole process was he was just getting the body shape that he wanted. And you can see so many different iterations of the body shape. And then like, as you're going through, you're seeing, okay, he's taking like certain like facial structures and body structures and kind of sticking with those. And then you can like, as he gets further on, you're like, okay, now he's starting to look like Spyro. Um, but a lot of those earlier stuff, I feel like not a lot of people see like in a creative project because they usually just see the end product. And it's like, but what, what goes into making a character? And especially when it comes to making a character as iconic as Spyro the Dragon or even someone like, you know, Spider-Man. Like, I don't think anyone really knows 
what Stan Lee or Jack Kirby was like, what was going, what, what were they sketching on their napkins or, you know, <laughs> not to get crude, but like, you know, when they're, when they're in the bathroom, what are they sketching on their toilet, on the toilet paper? Like, cause like usually the ideas just come and it's like, you got to sketch it down. Like no matter what, just like, just sketch it down. Um, uh, and uh, I think that that is definitely an art aspect that I think does get overlooked, uh, but it is incredibly important and that is one of the reasons why I am drawn to it. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's kind of like that that process. So I know you mentioned earlier that uh, you worked like a office job for a little while. What was what was that like and how did you kind of decide to leave that and go into um, art art being an artist full time, I guess. That sounds so weird because I feel like if you're an <laughs> artist, then you just are. Yeah, I well, it, it's funny that you bring that up, um, like kind of be, like being an artist, like uh, at all times. Um, I feel like there's definitely like a distinction, at least for me anyway, as far as like, I guess like career in a way. Um, but uh, yeah, to, to answer your question. Um, so I, uh, I graduated from uh, Ohio Wesleyan University with a uh, degree, in, a bachelor's degree in geography. Uh, with a background in uh, GIS, uh, Geographical Information Systems. Um, and when I moved to Houston, uh, right after graduation, uh, I got a job uh, with a company called uh, IHS. Uh, they're a big information company based out of Houston. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that I was working, what I got hired to do was um, I worked on uh, mapping uh, natural gas and oil pipelines. Um, and that was kind of my day-to-day my day-to-day job. Um, uh, I was a pipeline analyst uh, for for them, um, and like we had this whole database and uh, like geographic database that we had like information on, um, and we would we would give that information to clients, and they could use that for whatever business endeavors that they were having in the, in the industry. Um, and so I worked at that. Uh, that was that was seven years that I worked uh, worked for them. Um, and uh, as like I mentioned before, um, Crazy Beard started uh, around 2014, uh, and uh, so because uh, I started IHS in 2012, and then started working on Crazy Beard stuff with with Logan and his dad um, uh, a couple years later, um, and I was just doing that stuff at home. Uh, I would you know I would I would come home and I would sketch like you know stuff for for Space Joe and other projects that we had had uh, that we were thinking about doing. Um, eventually I began, uh, bringing my sketchbook to work and like, if there was downtime, uh, or if I was in between, uh, projects at work, uh, I would kind of just bust out my sketchbook and kind of draw ideas that I had, or if I had an idea, I would just sketch it down real quick. You know, uh, generally at my office, like we were kind of free to kind of do what we needed. As long as we got our work done, we were, we were cool. Um, and, uh, over time, uh with the projects with uh, matthew lucas and with will um those were still coming while i was working at that office job and so um i would come home uh come home from my office job i would would work on those on those uh projects and uh eventually something kind of like clicked um uh uh while working at uh, at work and ihs and i was like i i think i got what I wanted to get out of, out of this, out of this job, 
Um, I know that my background is in geography. I still love geography. I um, like making maps is something that I, I am incredibly interested in doing um, at some point. That's another project. I, I, I could tell you, just go on a quick tangent. I could tell you like at least 50 different types of projects that I would love to work on, <laughs> but it's like, I don't have time. Who has time for this? I don't have time. But that's, that's kind of one of the struggles of working on art full time. Cause like, it's like, Oh, I want to make all these ideas happen. And it's like, but okay, we'll focus on one and then you can go on the next one. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, it kind of just like clicked for me to kind of like, I, I think I'm ready and to, to, to do this full time. I, I think I've hit a point where like the balance, um, emotionally for me, uh, has kind of reached, like, it's kind of, it's kind of crested over that dam of like really pulling the trigger on going full time, full time with this, um, and I would still have considered myself to be in, in, in certain ways, I still consider myself to be kind of like, kind of like fledgling professional artist. Um, uh, but uh, while start, still working at, at the office, I, I um, you know, I was still like kind of figuring out like what my style is, what, what I really wanted to work on uh, for, for artwork. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I there, there definitely just is something where, and it, like not to, I don't know, it, not to get all like I don't know, exist existential, but it was just kind of like I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to sit in my office uh, with. I think, I think that the, what drove me was like I didn't want to sit at my office job with the ideas that I had in my head and not being able to work on those ideas like right away. I guess that was that was kind of the thing because like you know I would I would. I would come up with an idea. It's like, you know, I, I draw like a little skeleton guy and I'm like, Oh, cool. I could like make a, make a children's book out of this or something like that. And then, and then I had to like, okay, well now I got to go back and work on my, I got to go, go, I got to go input the data for this pipeline and stuff. Like that. But I, I want to think of, I want to think about that guy that I, that I drew. I want to, I want to see him come to life. I want to make something from him. Um, and not being able to, not being able to just like sketch it down and then, go right to my computer and start drawing something like from that, that is what ultimately led me to uh, uh, ending working at the office at IHS and, and going full-time with, with art and um, working on crazy beard entertainment, working on Goblin collective, uh, which we found it and then working on my own stuff uh, as well. Um, uh, it just kind of hit me. I, I feel like there's a lot of people who have experiences like that where it's just kind of like, Oh, it just kind of hit me, but um it, it, it was it was a slow cresting of that dam because i had been working on stuff on the side from my office job artwork wise uh for a little while um, and i think that that kind of helped me to be able to make the transition a lot easier than just kind of being like having like one project and being like okay i don't want to do this anymore which i not to say that that's bad um but i think that uh it helped me to make the transition a lot easier Okay, I just have a few more questions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. So, the first one I wanted to ask isn't, like, really deep at all, but um, I noticed on your profile um, it said that, like, it stated something about Star Trek, so I just wanted to ask you, do you like Star Wars better or Star Trek? Ooh. 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 Oh, man. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I will I will be super like I was I'll, I'll be super like dodgy about the question and say that I like certain aspects of both. Um, I think generally I do enjoy Star Wars better. Like I I, I tend to gravitate towards more uh, like more star wars things like i will pick up like i'll pick like i'll, I'll watch uh you know because there's, there's a lot of like cartoon series now uh, like clone wars and and rebels and stuff like that like i love those things um i'll i'll, I'll put on uh you know uh empire strikes back you know in the background and i'll i'll, I'll watch heck i'll even watch the prequels you know i don't know not like they're good but i'll still watch them but um uh, when it comes to Star Trek, there's, I really only watch, I, I really, TNG, like, I don't know how anyone could get better than the next generation when it comes to Star Trek. Like, I feel like Deep Space Nine tried, I just feel like uh, uh, Enterprise and Voyager tried, but you can't, you can't, you can't capture TNG, man. Like, TNG is like perfect. Like, I don't know. Um God, I'll I'll do a super cop out and say they're pretty much equal for me. <laughs> okay. that, that's a super cop out for me. I know, but uh, uh, I'm really enjoying a lot of the recent Star Wars stuff. I, I I will say I think that I was a bigger fan of Star Wars when I was uh, a little baby boy because my my brother was super big into Star Wars. <laughs> as I became uh, a, as a college student, I was bigger into Star Trek. Um, and then as I actually, as I'm kind of like getting into more like doing like comic books and stuff, um, and now that a lot of the recent Star Wars has been getting in big into like animation, like especially like 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 I said like with Clone Wars and Rebels and stuff, I've kind of like gotten back into Star Wars because I'm like, oh man, Clone Wars like there's so much lore behind Clone Wars. <laughs> uh, it kind of got me back into it, and I've been reading a lot of Star Wars books and stuff, but. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of old Star Trek books that are really funny to read because like, especially since they came out in like the sixties and seventies, um, they're just, they're so goofy and there's, <laughs> it's like, Oh, cool. Uh, I, I didn't realize those were all racist. Um, but <laughs> uh, so it's just really interesting to see like how each one has kind of grown into what they are now um, and seeing how they, how they, I guess how they try to stay relevant in a, in a certain way. Um, I definitely think that Star Wars is doing a better job of staying relevant than Star Trek, but that's my opinion. But TNG, like if I were to put like TNG up against the original trilogy of Star Wars, one hundred percent equal. I feel like those are like those are their like peak um, things, and I would say they're equal. I could watch both at the same time, to be honest. <laughs> okay, and then that's a dangerous that's question. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was gonna be Star Trek because of because <laughs> I got Klingon on there. Yeah. <laughs> so my my friend Logan and Gary, they're 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 definitely bigger into Star Trek than than, <laughs> than I am. Um, and uh, we'll we'll bond with we'll we'll bond with TNG episodes uh, almost every every time we we get on chat and talk. Um, they're less they're less star wars so i think that's where that where that comes from but uh 
And then I have just a few more questions. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, I mean, like, I, hey, I warned you that I was like, I'll go on like a million different tangents. <laughs> so <laughs> that that's totally on you for for interviewing me. I think it's fun to like ask someone like one question and then they kind of answer like a bunch of others naturally. <laughs> like I, I like that. Um. So the next one is just another fun one. Uh, do you still have a tortoise? I do. Um, so uh, funny story about tortoise. Uh, so we had start I, on the, uh, on my, do I still have him named? Okay, he just says tortoise on there. Um, uh, so when we originally got him, uh, we, we got him from my sister-in-law who worked at a Petco. Um, and uh, she was like, uh, I don't trust anybody taking care of uh, of him. Uh, can you take care of him? Because my boss is yelling at me to sell him, and I don't want to sell him to people who aren't equipped to sell him. Because we had a uh, prior to the tortoise, we had an iguana. Uh, Sally so had passed away uh, prior to that, but um, we had we had all the equipment ready and stuff. And so she was like, "If you can, if you can take him, that would be that would be great." Because I don't want to sell him to people who can't take care of him. Uh, and so we got him, we got him all set up and stuff. We took him to the vet and uh, we originally named, his original name was Bill on the pet store. We took him home and we're like, oh, we don't want to call him Bill. Let's call him Bilbo. Um, <laughs> and then uh, uh, we took him to the vet for for kind of just the initial checkup to make sure everything was okay. The vet came back and was like, I think Bilbo is a girl. <laughs> uh, and uh he was still very young at the time so like he uh he like had like started showing like the different types of shell structure um but the vet was like i have a box turtle and i think and he's a red foot tortoise um and uh uh she was like i think i think bilbo's a girl and so we're like oh okay i mean you're the vet so we trust you um so we're like okay well we need a new, new name let's call her marigold after tris marigold from the witcher um and uh you know uh for for a couple months uh she's doing fine she we were upgrading like her um her terrarium and, and stuff like that her tortoise table is what we call it uh and uh last month uh while we were giving her a bath um uh my wife was sitting there watching watching her and uh you know, I'm sitting on the computer and she comes around and she's like, um, Marigold just flashed me her penis. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, huh. <laughs> and so we Google, we're like, okay, so what is, what are the distinctive features of a male tortoise? And it's like, okay, well, they, well, first we had to Google what a tortoise penis looks like. <laughs> um, uh, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's a tortoise penis. Um, uh and uh we're like okay yeah like he as he's gotten older and like this was this is like it's kind of like a tortoise like he's he's slow at changing and like you know it's not like a cat where a cat just like like two months later and they're gigantic um tortoise will grow slow and so the changes in the shell were slow to notice and we we took a little closer look we're like oh yeah he does have a concave like plastern bottom part of the shell it's for like mounting the female uh, and obviously since he has a penis uh, he must be male uh, and so we're like great uh, 
well, that was many transitions uh, of gender <laughs> that we imposed on our tortoise in the span of one year. <laughs> um, and uh, we were like, well, he's been he had been Marigold for so long since we since we had originally got him. Um, how about Maribo? And so that's the story of how Maribo went from being a boy to a girl and back to a boy. So out of all the mediums that you kind of work in, do you have a favorite? Uh, ooh, um, I think my most comfortable one is just straight up digital artwork. Um, I primarily use Photoshop. I have a drawing pad that I use. Um, and, uh, it, it's kind of like, I, I, I'm, I'm sure you've seen like the, they're called Wacom, Wacom. I don't know how they like to pronounce them. Um, it's, uh, it's just the one where I can, like, I just have a pad and it's, it doesn't have a screen on it or anything like that. But, um, when I'm sitting here at the computer, just kind of, I, you know, I put on some background music, um, and, uh, I'll just like pick an idea, draw, um, and I'm just sitting there on Photoshop and I, I primarily use Photoshop for my personal digital, uh, artwork that I do, uh, things like fan art or other types of artwork that I'm working on. Um, and I think, I think I'll have to, I'll have to say that one's just my favorite because I, I feel most creative when I'm doing that type of work. Um, Mostly because my uh, any other any other type of work um, I'm doing generally has to do like under contract, and so I when I'm sitting there just drawing on Photoshop and just like taking an idea and drawing like that's just it's all me like all the time it's my idea my creativity, um, and uh, but like you know there are times when I'll get like a commission or something like that and I'm I'm using I'm doing the same process and. Um, it, it generally looks like the same thing, but um, that's just that's just what I feel most comfortable with uh, as far as techniques go for for working in Photoshop. And I'm still learning. There's oh my god, Photoshop has so many different yeah. aspects to it that like like coming up with brushes, like making brushes, downloading brushes, textures, uh, you know, different. I don't know. There there's so many things that I could go into Photoshop and like tweak that ends up having significant impact on the way in which an artwork looks uh, that you would never like really figure out unless you like really went and spent the time and figuring out which each of those things do. Um, and so that's kind of still like a big learning process for me, even though I've been working in Photoshop for years of just like, Oh, I didn't know that this thing actually did this. <laughs> um, but uh yeah, and I think that's that's also another fun thing to why I find that to be the most comfortable, just because um, uh, uh, I can I can mess around a lot in Photoshop as opposed to something like a traditional medium like painting or even like sketching in like in a sketchbook. Um, it's a lot easier to mess around and make mistakes in digital work uh, because you can always just press Control Z, um, and then if you're like, oh wait, I actually did like that, and then you press Control Y. Um, uh, it's, uh, uh, that's all. I, I think because I am prone to mistakes in that way, like I just, I, I find it to be the most comfortable because I can make those mistakes and not have to, you know, sit there and be like, oh no, I colored this 
the color is wrong, color this flower wrong, it's ruined. <laughs> uh, um, I'd be like, no, I actually I want to, you know, I want to, you know, adjust the curves on this layer, and I can make the color slightly more blue than than I had it before. Um, or I can just, you know, not worry about it, uh, change it back whenever I wanted to. But at some point, like in Photoshop, there is a point where you reach where it's like you you do have to commit to like a color or like a line because at some point you're not going to be able to reach back into the history of your strokes far enough to actually like undo that stuff so um there, there's there's a strength to photoshop um in that regard and just being able to make the mistakes but there's also put the potential to learn how to be confident with your strokes um in other mediums as well because um like if i'm going in and painting like when you're when you're painting on a canvas like you generally have to commit to the stroke that you're making um like when you when you put like a piece of when you put like a you know brush to canvas it's like you don't have a lot of options to like get rid of that black line like you're kind of it's kind of stuck there like you can obviously like there's techniques to be able to like cover it up or like blend it in with something else but um there's definitely there's definitely a level of working on your confidence in traditional mediums that uh, i think uh, also helps but uh when it comes to photoshop and digital work it's just it's just the most comfortable for me because i can make those mistakes I don't want to cut you off. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so no, I was just adding, I, I can make those mistakes a lot more is all I, was, all, I, all I had said. So that was it. That was the end of that. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so I know you just kind of mentioned Photoshop. So I wanted to ask you really quickly with animation, do you use After Effects for the things you do there? I do not. Um, I don't have uh, experience in After Effects. I use uh, I use Photoshop primarily for my animation um, oh, wow. uh, work. Uh, I do a combination of Illustrator uh, and Photoshop. Uh, Illustrator is is vector based, uh, meaning that uh, like it's it's Photoshop is raster based, so it uses pixels, um, whereas uh, vector work uses um, line line work. And so when you when you things like uh like you can save like uh like a vector image in like a PDF and then the, the the general like benefit is that you can zoom into it and it doesn't lose integrity. That's kind of like when it comes to vector work, that's kind of the, the the strength there. Um, but uh, I'll use a combination depending on how uh, what project I'm working on. So like for an app development that I'm working on right now, um, that unfortunately I have an NDA for. Uh, but I'm using, I'm creating small animations for loading screens uh, for this app. And uh, uh, if I were to go ahead and make it in Photoshop, like it would kind of be crusty if it were to be zoomed in because it would need to be um, like, I would need Illustrator to be able to create vector work and then I can bring it into Photoshop as PDFs and then I can build the animation from there. I just use the frame. Uh, there's a there's a function in Photoshop that allows you to create uh, frame animations from your layers. And so as long as you have each frame of the animation on a separate layer, you can create uh, a small animation there. Um, and that's generally, because Crazy Beard uh, 
uh, right now is sticking with doing more retro um, style video game development, um, uh, pixel art, uh, things like that. Photoshop is perfect for for building those animations because uh, like it's it's just a simple function. And uh, I don't have experience in After Effects. I would love to dive into After Effects. Um, and uh, also, there's a new program called Animate, Adobe Animate, which I did a trial run for uh, for a small uh, interview project. Um, nothing, unfortunately, came out of that. But uh, that looked like it was a lot of fun. And um, I think because just, just because the crux of my work currently has not revolved around animation, um, I have not pulled the trigger on getting that software and really diving in and learning it. Uh, but that is a goal for mine. And I think... Um, I think that's that's going to happen next year. I think I'll I'll do an upgrade for that because I do want to be able to, um, like I said, like with our discussion about video games, I want to be able to tackle um, on an art side. I want to be able to tackle all the different parts of the artwork that goes into a game, and that does require uh, animation. So sounds good. I will play it on email like you sometime next year to see. How, how that's going. I really, <laughs> yeah. I'm interested in animation, but it just seems like such a hard thing to get into. I don't know, like just to start, but. Yeah, okay. and that's just just a general rule for, for any artist out there is something that I'm, I'm still learning and I learned uh, over the past year doing freelance work. It's like, as far as like just starting it, it's like, man, you just, that's it. Like, that's really it. It's like, if you want to get into it, you just got to do it. Like, it's it's kind of like, I, I know it's it seems like a like a you know just like a lame answer, but it's kind of like if you got an idea, you just got to do it, and you gotta you gotta get into it, or else it's really not going to happen. So um, that's what I'm learning. That's one of the big things for for doing freelance work for me is like especially stuff on my own, like not necessarily like through contracts and stuff, because when it comes to contracts, people are making me do stuff like. <laughs> but when I want to make myself do stuff, it's like, where do I start? What do I, and it's kind of like a daunting thing where it's like, how do I even start this? And it's like, just pick it and go, just, just pick a place and just go into it. Everything else will come um, around it uh, as you go through it. Now, these are the last two questions. I absolutely promise everybody. These are the last two questions. <laughs> um, and uh, you've kind of touched on, hold on. Just like a motorcycle or a car with a really loud engine that is like below my apartment. No. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. Yeah. So this is something you kind of touched on already, but I'll just ask it like more directly. Um, if you had to define art, um, what would you use to kind of do that? Or what words would you use? Ooh, how would you define art? Um, I think on, like, on a on a general slash kind of like simple level, and I think that in certain ways that like simple is actually good in describing something like art. Um, art for me is something that elicits something creative, something, something, something someone made that elicits an emotional response. And I think that that would be kind of the basic way that I would describe that. 
um, uh, because like when you look at film or like a painting, uh, someone made that someone, someone used their hands, used their creativity, used their mind. They brought that into, into the world. Um, and it doesn't matter what feeling or emotional feeling it, it, it elicited in you, like whether it could be happiness, it could be sadness, anger, um, uh, that to me is art and i think there definitely is like a lot of i guess not really like a lot of caveats in that but um because like books books are art writing is art to me um someone made a creative endeavor to bring that into the world and it's it's it, it elicits a emotional response to me. I think the key word being, I guess, I guess the way I would describe it is like the key word being like the creative endeavor. Um, because like, let's take for example, what I just said, like writing, it's like, I don't know if I would necessarily consider like journalism art. Um, it's writing and journalism can very much elicit an emotional response. But um, what was the, when when that when that journalist was writing, their goal was to just share the news, um, or write about the news, or or commentate on on the current events going on in the world. Um, art artists could definitely do that, um, but the the intention of art is the creative aspect. Um, and while a journalist can be creative, I don't know if the intention of like a journalistic piece of writing is creativity uh, in a sense. Um, and so in certain ways, it, 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 describing art is like, there's, there's so many, like, like it, it's, it's almost like, uh, it's kind of like folly in a way to, to really try to describe art because art each person can describe art in their own way. Um, and I think that's the tough thing when, when even just talking philosophically about art, um, because no one gets to define art. Um, at least in, in my, in my perspective, you don't, no one gets to define it. No one person gets to define art. Nature can be art if someone thinks that it's art. Um, I think, I think just art is what you, I don't know. It's, it's, it's definitely like, and I feel like there's, there's, you know, it's, um, there, there's whole, like the, the, the masters, the, the, you know, you know, Vincent van Gogh and like what people would consider to be the masters, you know, Rembrandt and stuff. It's like, um, I, I I haven't really like studied a lot of art history um, on on my end, but uh, I I would almost feel like they would struggle to define really what art would be. I know that they probably have a lot of quotes describing what art would be, but <laughs> like if you were to just ask them like what art would be, but then like if you ask the other guy down the road, you know what is art to him? Probably completely different. Um, I think it, it's just it's so individual, and art art can in certain ways be what 
the individual wants art to be. Yeah, I would agree. There's no one answer. It's to, it's interesting to hear um, what people think about when I ask them that question. Yeah, I'm actually, do you mind if I uh, actually, I was, I was curious uh, if like there was any answers that really stuck out with you for other people that you interviewed um, as far as like what maybe they considered, like what, what would they define art as? Was there anything that like stuck out for them while you were? Um, funny is a lot of people said emotion as well. Emotion. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Um, just like that's been a, a common through line with uh, people when we ask that question. It's just any like something that someone creates that has that emotional response. And... Yeah, I think that that's that's really that's really all you can describe it as in in, in many cases. Um, and the the crazy part is that as in in many ways that can be literally anything, <laughs> as long as someone created it. It's and someone could argue, you know, Mother Nature created the tree. It's art. It's like, yeah, yeah, that that that's works for me. <laughs> um, you know, if, if you're religious, like God created the universe. Like, you know, art. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um yeah it's it's such a it's such a crazy thing to try to define um but yeah that, that's that's cool i was curious to to know what other people were saying okay and this is our last question here um where can people kind of see your your artwork um you can list like your social medias your websites or um any projects that you're you want to share about oh sure uh so uh if people want to check out kind of the my my um, my more professional work, uh, my portfolio, they can find it at paulgruberart.com. Um, that just kind of has my my general portfolio on it. Uh, I think I have it divided up into like comic books, games, uh, other work, and concept art. Um, uh, so if you wanted to, and I, I think I have. Uh, um, my socials are available on there. You can contact me if anybody like uh, is interested in talking with me, maybe even like doing a commission or something. Uh, my email is available there, uh, pgruberarts uh, at gmail.com. Um, and then uh, other work um, that they can see and check out uh, obviously is on um, crazybeardentertainment.com. Um, that's, uh, that's where we do, that's our video game company, uh, development company. Um, you can see projects that we're working on in the middle of, uh, mostly in the middle of. <laughs> um, uh, we're trying to get uh, some blog updates going with development stuff. Um, uh, some of our, a lot of our projects are on the back burner right now uh, with all the events happening with 2020 and things like that and not being able to really be able to, to meet as often as we had hoped. Um, and uh, uh, then of course, um, uh, oh, uh, uh, next to that, next to Crazy Beard Entertainment, um, people can also check out uh, uh, Crazy Beard Cash, um, like C A C H E. Um, and that's actually uh, it's it's a it's our it's our store, our Crazy Beard Entertainment store that's tied to uh, my artwork. Right now, a lot of my a lot of the stuff that's on there is just mostly my artwork, um, and they can go to crazybeard.bigcartel.com. Um, and I sell stickers on there. Uh, a lot of, all of it is original artwork. Uh, a lot of it is fan artwork. Um, 
uh, people can get the, some some canvases on there as well. Um, and I update that uh, uh, pretty regularly with new work that comes out. A couple of T-shirts uh, of my original artwork on there as well. Um, and uh, it's just it's it that website is kind of just a place for a bunch of freelance work that I do on my own. Um, uh, and uh, if you're interested in supporting me uh, there, uh, you can go to crazybeard.bigcartel.com. And like I said, I update it with with, with stuff pretty regularly, um, mostly stickers. I like I make I like making stickers; <laughs> they're fun. <laughs> um, also, it lets me get lets the stickers allow me to get my goofy side out for the most part, which is which is always a lot of fun. Um, and then uh, the uh, Goblin Collective, which I had mentioned earlier. Um, it's a Houston-based uh, group of artists and crafters. Um, they can uh, check out, and we have profiles for all the different uh, artists uh, on there as well. They can go to goblincollective.com, and it's it just it's it's spelled just like how it sounds. Um, and uh, we we are hoping we had started the Goblin Collective. We founded the Goblin Collective earlier this year in 2020, um, and we were hoping. We were hoping to be able to go to uh, a lot of conventions to be able like comic book conventions or video game conventions or art conventions to be able to get uh, to be able to get out there. And that's our primary purpose is just as a way to kind of pool each of the artists resources um, and be able to, you know, uh, uh, get the expenses covered to be able to get uh, artwork out in front of people um, that's kind of the main goal for for us at the moment but unfortunately with 2020 and covid and stuff we weren't able to get out a lot <laughs> but uh, you can still check us out um uh, at goblincollective.com and we have uh, all the artists have their socials listed available there on the website um under their each of their individual goblin profiles um and then uh socials for me uh you can find me on Instagram at uh, Goober Maximize. That's G O O B E R, um, and then the word Maximize. Um, and then uh, I also have a I do, um, and I'm on Twitter, uh, same same name as well. Um, and then lastly, uh, I also have a Twitch. I do streaming. Uh, uh, I do uh, video game. I play video games on stream, and I do artwork on stream as well. Um, usually over lunchtime. Uh, there, I, I uh, creatively called them the lunchtime let's play <laughs> and lunchtime let's draw um, and uh, that's you can find me at uh, twitch.tv slash goober maximize um, it's always a lot of fun and like that's like I said <laughs> in one of the earlier emails I was like I'm so used to just going off a tangent so I'm talking on twitch because it's such a just stream of thought <laughs> And so you're probably going to get a lot of that from me today, uh, which you definitely did. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Um, and I think that that uh, I think that covers covers all that. I know that was a lot, um, and uh, uh, that's just kind of one of the aspects of me having lots of ideas that I want to do and uh, needing the needing the internet infrastructure to be able to support all those things. <laughs> I guess, uh, Janine, did you have any other questions? Uh, no, I don't have any more. I've... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, um, I guess just to wrap things up, do you have uh, any any final thoughts? Um, I guess uh, one, uh, I think I, I, I talked about in uh, one of the other questions, but uh, I guess kind of to leave you guys 
um, and uh, just maybe some advice to other artists out there, especially ones that are kind of starting out like me um, with the whole professional side of things. Um, uh, one thing that I'm, I'm learning, still learning, but one thing that I quickly learned starting out on my own is it's it's daunting to have all the ideas in your head, but really like heck just just put pen to paper see what comes out of it um and and just go from there like just it's it's tough when because like a lot of my friends and stuff they they also have creative things that they want to work on um and uh they'll they'll kind of get stuck on the idea um and, and kind of worrying about where that idea might take them um one thing that I've learned is that like have is that if I have an idea, um, just start working on it. Just, just go into it and start small, and then you can you can bump up bump up uh, efforts from there. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, that's uh, one one thing that I've learned being an artist is like it's really not too much different from like another type of job in a way. Like you still got to work at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll have your creative spurts here and there. You'll have your down, your downs and ups with with creativity and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's just keep working. That's really all I can say. <laughs> and I'm still learning. I'm still learning because there's like times where I'm like, I don't want to. I don't want to draw this. I I don't like the way this looks. But then I I was like, you know what? Let me just let me just keep going. And then I turn out and I look back at it. I'm like, dang, that actually turned out pretty good. <laughs> Um, all right. Um, thank, thank you so much for, uh, for agreeing to, to do this interview. Yeah. yeah thank you so much. For, thank you so much for having me. This was, this was a blast. Uh, um, I, I, I apologize if, uh, I kind of went on a little rambly at certain times, but, um, no, that was, I think you did a great job. <laughs> well thank you I appreciate we, that. <laughs> we actually do like the rambly answers I feel like a, there, there's a lot of fun <laughs> topics that come from that hey I got to talk about my tortoise I'm I'm happy I got to, <laughs> I, you have a quote of me saying tortoise penis so you <laughs> I have a few takes of it too <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it's just a super cut of me being like tortoise penis tortoise penis tortoise penis tortoise penis <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah this was a lot of this was this was so much fun i appreciate you thank you for for reaching out um you you had seen me on uh on the adventure begins right yeah yeah um oh yeah i'll plug that adventure begins they're awesome uh they're really cool uh i i do consignments for them from time to time so if you happen to be visiting the adventure begins up in uh uh, what road is that? I forget what, what uh, road that 1488, is. Fourteen eighty eight, I think. Yeah, I think That's you're right. Not really a road. But... Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's a farming farm 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 path um, <laughs> farm route. Uh, uh, but yeah, they're they're awesome. Um, and uh, no, I was I was I was happy you uh, uh, were able to find me and uh, reached out to me. I, I, I greatly appreciate that. Thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation.